0: The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Charlene Han powell during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Han powell
1: Let us pray. Put our hearts at ease, O oh God put our minds at rest dear savior and put our souls at peace holy spirit this day and forevermore amen Well friends, it is officially summer here at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Those of you who came to church at 9.30 figured that out the hard way. And those of you who will inevitably, or those who will inevitably stumble in 30 minutes from now will also be in for a fun surprise. Now I know that school is still in session and life and work don't just stop for the rest of us in the coming months. But here in this space, at this point in time, Summer has begun. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we celebrate another amazing program year. By way of recap, since last September, we baptized 12 children and two adults. We celebrated and officiated eight weddings, and we mourned and presided over nine funerals and memorials. We welcomed 46 new members into our faith community, And our walk-in ministry provided services of all kinds to 372 individuals in need. 21,000 people joined us in worship this year as we told the story of our traditions matriarchs and patriarchs, asked what's next for this country, for America, and surveyed the maps that guide and lead us to the divine. We opened our doors to the wider community for the first ever Godot Lecture Series. We deepened our friendship with our sister church in Jamaica, Queens. We laughed and cried and agreed and disagreed, rejoiced and lamented. In short, we did really, really, really good church. And so now we enter into a period of rest. But don't worry, that doesn't mean we shut down. It just means we slow down and observe some Sabbath. Why? Well, because God commands us to. Now, I know this seems pretty self-serving to engage this topic, seeing as I am the one who gets to go on sabbatical, and the truth is, is that it totally is. But I assure you, I did not pick this topic to rub it in your faces, quite the opposite. On the eve of my prolonged Sabbath, I chose to talk about rest because, quite frankly, it terrifies me. I don't know how to do it, I don't know why anyone would, and I don't even know where to begin. Now, some of you probably think that's insane. Who wouldn't want to take the summer off, right? But my guess is that many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. After all, we are New Yorkers. We don't stroll down the street. We aggressively walk jog to the point of giving ourselves shin splints on our way to the subway. We don't sit down and enjoy our meals. We eat them at our desks if we eat at all. And we definitely don't take time off because we are on all the time. But the craziest part is that we love to be busy. We love to work, to produce, even though we know it's slowly killing us. So as a matter of survival for all of us, we are going to revisit this ancient topic that somehow never gets old. Now buckle up, folks, because we are kicking off the summer just as the good Lord intended with a really long passage from the Old Testament. So long that I want you all to settle in and make yourselves comfortable. Maybe that means putting your phones away, not just screen down, but actually putting it away. Maybe that means pushing aside whatever comes next in this service, in your daily schedule, on your to-do list. And simply listening to God's word as it comes to us from Exodus chapter 16.
2: The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim in Israel and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pot and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger.
1: Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days.
3: So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud.
1: The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites, Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God.
2: In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another,
3: what is it? for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents.
2: The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no storage. They
3: gathered as much as, they need, as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it left over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it as much as they needed, but when the sun grew hot, It melted.
2: On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them,
3: This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of holy rest, a solemn Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning. And
2: Moses commanded them, and did not become foul, and there were no worms in it.
3: Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. For six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none.
1: On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day.
2: So the people rested on the seventh day.
1: Our second reading for the day is our lectionary passage that comes to us from the Gospel according to John chapter 5. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. Friends, this is the Word of God for you, the people of God. Be to God. Back in February, Kevin Roos, a columnist for the New York Times, contributed to a growing genre of articles and literature on the epic epidemic known as nomophobia. For those of you who aren't familiar, nomophobia is the irrational fear of being without your phone, as in no mobile phone phobia. In an article entitled, Do Not Disturb, How I Ditched My Phone and Unbroke My Brain, he wrote, my name is Kevin, and I have a phone problem. And if you're anything like me, and the statistics suggest you probably are, you have one too. I don't love referring to what we have as an addiction. That seems too sterile and clinical to describe what's happening to our brains in the smartphone era. I've been a heavy phone user for my entire adult life, but sometime last year I crossed the invisible line into problem territory. My symptoms were all the typical ones. I found myself incapable of reading books, watching full-length movies, or having long, uninterrupted conversations. Social media made me angry and anxious. I tried various tricks to curb my usage, but I always relapsed. Turns out Kevin is not alone. Studies show that two out of every three people suffer from nomophobia. The average smartphone user unlocks their phone at least 150 times a day, resulting in nearly three hours of screen time. In comparison, the average amount of time people spend with their families on a daily basis is 45 minutes. Three out of four Americans use their phones on the toilet, text while driving, and sleep with or near their phone. Three percent sleep with their phone in their hands. Now I think it's safe to say that we, as a society, have a little bit of a problem. But I'm not actually talking about a phone problem or even a screen problem. In order to begin to diagnose what ails us, we have to first ask ourselves, why are we on our phones so much in the first place? What are we even doing? Now our responses might seem varied. We are checking our emails, posting on social, shopping for groceries, reading the news, texting with friends, but the truth is we are all doing a version of the exact same thing. We are all working. Working to succeed, working to keep up, working to secure our future, maintain our image, manage our lives. We are constantly and endlessly working to be the best, most productive, most efficient, most connected human beings we can possibly be. Which just means our real problem isn't actually our phones. Our real problem is that we don't know how to stop. We don't know how to stop checking our emails, posting on social, shopping for groceries, reading the news, and texting our friends. In short, we don't know how to rest, nor do we really want to. But that should come as no surprise to any of us, right? After all, we live in a world that measures our value according to what we do, how much we produce, how hard we work, how successful we have become, We live in a world that celebrates relentless productivity. How did we even get here? Well, ironically, our very tradition as Protestants is partially to blame. Back in 1905, German sociologist Max Weber wrote a book entitled, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. In it, he asserted that while one might not know for certain if they are indeed saved, values like hard work or thrift or efficiency were pretty good indicators. Hence, the Protestant work ethic. Now, on the one hand, it makes total sense. After all, God has endowed us with an abundance of resources, including our time and our talents. Based on that generosity, we as God's servants should labor as long and as hard as we possibly can out of sheer gratitude and reverence to the Lord. Following that logic, one could never work too hard or labor too long for the kingdom of God. Rest is a luxury we as Christians cannot afford, right? Well, not exactly. After all, God's commandments in the Old Testament were pretty clear. Right down the line, you shall have no other gods but God. You shall not make or worship idols of any kind. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So what exactly does that mean? Well, according to Exodus 16... It means for six days, work, work hard, gather that manna, feed yourself and your family. But when the seventh day rolls around, stop, stop hard, take a day off and rest. Naturally, the Israelites ignore God's explicit instructions. Accustomed to thinking they are on their own, they wake up the morning of the seventh day and what do they do? They go straight to work. Just like us, they are hardwired to go nonstop. Just like us, they don't know how to slow down. Why? Well, because for centuries, the Israelites were worth exactly what they produced and how hard they worked. Because for centuries, the Israelites were slaves. As far as they were concerned, it was on them to survive. It was on them to make it in the world. It was on them to fight for their freedom. That is, until God rescued the Israelites and claimed them as God's own. You see, the reason the Israelites struggled to rest was because they struggled to understand, to accept, what it meant to be a child of God what it meant to be cared for by the creator of the universe, what it meant to be recipients of God's free and abundant grace. For them, taking the day off meant setting aside their dreams and their doubts and instead trusting that God would provide. For them, remembering the Sabbath meant stopping their striving long enough to remember that the same God who freed them from captivity would deliver them from the desert. Nothing about this commandment was meant to be easy, but it was worth obeying. Friends, the same rings true for us today. Because most days of the week, most hours of the day, we work. We work to provide for our families. We work to prove our worth to the world around us. We work to make sure we don't fade into nothingness and die. And so we work from home and on the weekends. We hit that post button day and night. We go to the gym, cook our meals, run our households, and volunteer at church. We have our main hustle, our side hustle, and our weekend hustle. We don't dare put down our phones, walk away from our desks, and slowly sip our coffees. Because if we stop, then who are we? Well, my friends, we are children of God. Which means when we finally stop our earthly work, we allow God's holy work to begin. Healing those illnesses that we have lived with for far too long and enabling us to get up and walk. Breaking the bonds of our attachments to the things of this world and freeing us up to do God's will. And reminding us that there is nothing, nothing we can do to earn God's love, but we have it anyways endlessly and eternally. Again, nothing about this commandment is easy, but it is worth obeying. It is the active choice to be transformed over and over and over again, week in and week out, into God's holy people. It entails waking up and paying attention to the stuff that really matters. It means pushing aside the stuff that can wait until tomorrow. And it calls us to reject the notion that our worth is determined by our work. Yes, the Sabbath is a commandment, but it is also a gift. The question is, will we receive it? Do we even know how? As I mentioned earlier, rest does not come easily to me. There is literally nothing about my Korean-American type A, ENFG, Enneagram type 3 that lends itself to me just chilling out. Just ask my poor, poor husband. But if there was ever a time that I really did embrace the notion of Sabbath, it would have been 10 years ago, almost to the date, in Jerusalem, Israel, with my friend Noah on the evening of Shabbat. Noah is an Orthodox Jew who observes Shabbat with deep commitment and conviction. For him, come sundown on Friday, he ceases his labors, which means no money is exchanged, no electronics are used, no work of any kind is done. No cooking, no cleaning, no shopping, nothing. In theory, it might seem stifling, but in practice, it felt like being truly awake. Imagine the streets are packed with people walking instead of driving, stopping along the way to chat, taking their time. All the stores close hours before sundown, sundown so no one is the one stuck at work. And dinner, well, the feast, goes beyond, every, beyond the point after everyone has finished their meals. Having lived it for one night, I can tell you what it does to a person, what it does to a community. Everyone is shockingly relaxed and calm, moving much slower, much freer than they do the rest of the week. In short, everyone is exactly where they are at that moment, present and accounted for. And many of you have graciously asked me what I am going to do on my sabbatical. And it took me a while to figure figure it out, but my answer is that. For the next 12 weeks, my plan, my hope, is to be present and accounted for. Instead of worrying about the next program year, I'm going to give thanks for the last one. Instead of looking at my phone, I'm going to look at the faces of the people I'm actually sitting with. And instead of worrying about everything I need to do, I am going to be present to all that God is doing and has done in this world, in this community, and in my life. I do not expect it to be easy, but I am certain it will be worth it. My dear friends, I hope you all can do the same. So much so that I'm actually going to make you do it right now. Now, I was going to have this be a homework assignment, but it's the summer, so, you know, no homework. Plus, I don't really trust that you'll actually remember and do it. Instead, I want you all right now to turn to page 8 in your bulletins. It's right in the middle. On page 8, you will find a lot of beautiful blank space. In that space... I want you to write down your answers to the following. Grab a pen. There should be pencils in your pew racks. First, I want you to pick a day of the week and time for your Sabbath. If you can do a whole day, great. If you need to start with just an hour, then do that. But whatever you choose, it needs to be weekly. Set it apart and keep it. That's one. Pick a time. Pick a day. Second, I want you to pick one to three things you need rest from, that which you labor over. It can be your job. It can be chores. It can be your phone. And find a way to take a break from those things during your Sabbath time. So what do you need to take Sabbath from? And finally, and most importantly, I want you to pick one to three things you need to be present with. That from which you receive God's grace. It might be your family and friends. It might be this church. It might be time with yourself. Whatever it is, honor it on your Sabbath by simply being present and accounted for. Three things. Patrick is going to play some music while you all do this. It shouldn't take too long. Now here's the thing. If you finish early, don't reach for your phone. Don't go to the next page and start jotting down a to-do list. Try something crazy, absolutely crazy. And for a moment, I encourage you to practice some Sabbath. Patrick?
2: We want to send Pastor Charlene off with with a blessing and a prayer. So seriously, respect her Sabbath these next few months. If you need anything, email, email Pastor Kate. So instead of having everybody come up and laying a hand on Charlene, um, stretch out your hand, don't hit the person in front of you, and let us pray for Charlene. Gracious God, in you we live and move and have our being. We pray that you guide Pastor Charlene during this intentional Sabbath time. May you rejuvenate her, may she experience your grace, allow her to be still and rest in knowing that you are a good God and that she is your beloved child. May she return to Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church restored in body, mind, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, go from this place and be present and accounted for. Rest in God's goodness and God's grace. And remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Amen.
0: We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word Sermons, to 646 491 Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word Sermons to 646-491-8331. Thank you.